Hello, friends, and welcome to World Build With Us, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-host, Daniel Quinn and Courtney Staples. On today's episode, we are putting the finishing touches on our uh, art pieces and schemata as we continue to explore our Da Vinci-inspired Renaissance world, brought to you and us by a fellow listener. A big thanks again to Philip Rosiak for this prompt, and remember that if you want us to build your world, you can submit your own prompt to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where we will build your world within a reasonable amount of time, as long as it's not creepy or gross. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter, at Let's World Build. And if you want to come join our Discord community, or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can always give us money over on Patreon, and with a link for both of those in the description of this very episode. Before we start, I also want to mention some shakeups and some new additions to Patreon stuff. As of this episode going out, there should be a patrons-only episode that has been posted. And to give you kind of a preview of what those will look like, our highest tier patrons will suggest episodes for us, and whether they be world-building or just really casual, and we record and do those episodes. If you are a patron of ours, whether it be from the giant aphid tier or higher, you will get those episodes to listen to through Patreon. If you are a God-pacted patron, then you will be able to suggest those monthly Patreon episodes. So yeah, that is brand new. Uh, Let us know uh, how you guys enjoy it, uh, the patrons who listen to this. And uh, yeah, on to today's episode. So if you recall, last episode we left with no twist, which kind of unsatisfying. But what that means for us is that we now get to explore an additional aspect of the world that we normally wouldn't have time for. This time, we decided to start with an invention and then watch the magic and, well, actually kind of flip that. It's a work of art. And then we watch the inventions that have trickled out from there. So who wants to start us off diving back into the Renaissance with their invention and art piece. Before we start, there's one thing I want to um, suggest in honor of the uh, person who suggested this prompt. Oh yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So we didn't really have a name for the like the first, or I don't know if it's the first, but the main engine that allows them to travel. That little um, the Ornithopter uh, invention that's been mm-hmm. lost. So mm-hmm. I thought perhaps we'll call it the Rosniak engine. The Rosiak engine sounds dope. Yeah I, can, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I can support that entirely. I like immortalizing that. our patron forever. Yeah, well, not our patron, but our listener for sure. Our listener, yeah. yes. Soon yeah, to be we, patron. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that one, but uh, yeah, we will. I, I'm totally down with that. So we have the Rosiac engine as a, an homage and a thank you to our listener who submitted the prompt. I like that idea a lot, Daniel. Great idea. Uh, so... Because you piped up first, of course, you now have to tell us what your piece of art and invention is, Daniel. Um, Let me pull up my notes here. Um, So I've got a weird one. Um, One of the things I I really, so I'm not much of an art history person, but there is one piece of intersection between like art history and um, like speculative physics that I enjoy. Um, And I thought that kind of inspired my concept. So... um, 
Picasso and the early cubists, like they were interested in the fourth dimension in particular, mm-hmm. um, when the fourth dimension came up more of as a, not as a, a science thing, but as a paranormal thing. And then later a science thing, um, they tried to imagine it in their art. And so some of the the portraits that Picasso did, um, I think a couple of them I have written down here, Dora Marr and the portrait of Daniel Henry Conweiler, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, the idea was that it was, it was painted, um, from the perspective of the fourth dimension, such that you could see the subject from every angle simultaneously. So that's why it looks all funky. Um, so I thought, uh, what if there was a, a painter in the world who created, or not a painter, but, a, um, uh, a tailor that created this garment that's like kaleidoscopic. And when they, mm. when the person wears it, it allows, um, the, the people who look upon the garment to see the wearer's like clothing from all perspectives so it's like this crazy kaleidoscopic um you know view of them that gives them an image of them completely um and so the uh technology that i imagine could have been discovered so that this led to the discovery of what i'm calling the color force which i realize is a real thing in in physics (laughs) but for our purposes this color force um allows you to do extra dimensional things so i could imagine um you know, developing either clothing or um, wearables that allow you to squeeze into tight spaces that are not technically Mm -hmm. possible. Or, you know, you can move greater distances that are normal because you're using an extra dimension of space to skip over the intervening Mm -hmm. space. Um, I also thought perhaps it would be able to create like a kind of ablative armor that helps against like mundane weaponry since it's extra dimensional. And the coolest one, I think, um, weapons that, if rotated, can make attacks that occur in the future, but for a short distance in the future. Interesting. So you, like, cool. you're setting up a feint, uh, but, you know, like a minute from now or 30 seconds from now. Exactly. Or like yeah. That. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that a lot. There, there, And there's plenty of applications there as well. It would be called the cloak of many colors. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. I yeah. Like <laughs> and uh the the original painter was uh joseph i believe right <laughs> well the original taylor was joseph <laughs> oh yes i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah you're right um uh i'm i'm trying desperately not to sing the song now so we Do should it. Really move on. no um anyway courtney yes. what is uh as as someone who studied art Mm -hmm. Uh, I imagine that you probably have something really cool for us. So what do you have for us, Courtney? Well, no pressure there, I guess. Um, Interestingly, mine also has to do with perception similar to Daniel's. Hmm. Um, I was thinking about in the setting, like how important air travel is and airflow in general. And you're living on top of these sort of cliffs um, overlooking these massive canyons. So you're surrounded by just air everywhere and wind must play like a huge role. Um, so I am picturing a, a stained glass worker artist who created this beautiful stained glass dome at the top of like a cathedral or government building. But if you stand inside the dome looking out, you can actually see the wind. Like it, it appears to you as if you could well, like cool. actually witness it. Um, and I could see that translating into more practical applications like um, like the cockpit window 
for a zeppelin so that the pilot mm. can see like the wind ahead of him or um goggles for maybe individual flyers or things like that yeah That's is that so cool. okay okay i have to ask mm. when you say that you see the wind i'm assuming yeah. that you're like looking at patterns of the wind correct yeah essentially yeah okay mm-hmm. i i because i would imagine that being able to see like air itself would probably like sensory overload yeah, like a lot of the times, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, like what does it look like then if that's the case, right? Like what does the wind even look like or is it indescribable to people such as us? Yeah, I was, I was picturing it in kind of an artsy way, like as lines that are flowing through the air. Mm. Um, like if you've seen those, uh, those sites online that show wind patterns, um, and how it's just all these like undulating lines uh, gotcha, over gotcha. the landscape, something like that. Um, but of course, constantly in motion. Uh, that's really cool. I feel like that would be amazing for any of their, you know, piloting and um, yeah, mapping. Yeah. You could map wind patterns, and they can you could actually mm-hmm. see torrents and know when storms are coming because the the patterns would change. That'd be really that's cool. true. Yeah, yeah, it would lead to a lot of more um, predicting of weather and. Just allowing people to be safer overall, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I imagine it's almost like a must for individual pilots or something like that, too, because to be without it, especially if you're like an ornithopter pilot, like that seems Mm -hmm. like something that you absolutely need to know. Um, In in a lot of ways, it's almost like if you had a ship without a compass or without like Mm -hmm. a sextant or something like that. Yeah, like it's it's doable without, but it's an enormous risk to just go out there on your own without that sort of uh, vision. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's like sure, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's like we did it, but how did we do it before this mm-hmm. invention happened? Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, that leaves mine, which is uh not based in perception. Um, but I wanted to go with someone who's kind of a brown noser, but not really, uh, decided to make a sculpture of the original automaton that we had, uh, Mm -hmm. to try and attempt to immortalize this automaton for generations to come. You know, this was the beacon, the guide, the muse, or or what did we what did we call them, Daniel? You said you had a particular I think name. Genius. Yeah, genius, genius. But that sounds yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they tried to, and, and obviously, you can't get someone's pure. I mean, you can get pretty close to someone's essence in in a statue, right? However, uh, not like their full essence. You want to see them in motion, and so this statue has uh, is not sentient it can't think but it is animate enough that it moves and it has a cycle of motion and think of something that is uh, as big as say david uh michelangelo's david but it has a range of motions that it goes through it's like um it's like an animatronic before animatronics right mm-hmm. um so what comes from this is the idea, and mind you, there is some like sentience to it in the fact that it has some thought, it has a pre-programmed level of movement that it goes through, and it's reactive in in some way. And what I thought would be really interesting from this is this idea that you can probably get prosthetics from breaking this law. 
Um, so there's this concept that uh, what's happening now is that, you know, you can take stone or wood or something like that and animate it enough and, and fuse essentially the consciousness of the material with the person to the point where you have uh, people walking around with arms of marble, granite, and, and, and full automaton, uh, you know, like arms and legs and stuff like that. So clockwork people, but they're just prosthetics. So it's like a law of cybernetics, basically, that they've discovered. Yeah, but, you know, Da Vinci level of technology, but cybernetics <laughs> yeah. for that, yeah. <laughs> Which is um, cool. I mean, it, it would be, I wonder, would you see it as being more in the domain of like medical science or more in the domain of engineering or maybe both? Yeah, I would I would probably put it in a little bo- a little bit of both, probably more on the medical science end because I want this to be seen not as like a cool aesthetic like a cyberpunk thing. Yeah, I, I see this certainly more as a medical thing. Um I I don't I do want to try and avoid full cybernetics as an aesthetic type thing where it's like, "Oh yeah, look how cool I am with my marble arm." It's like, "No, nah, it's like <laughs> This person was born without an arm or this person had an accident and lost a limb so we can replace it and they will be living works of art, essentially. Mm -hmm. But it's not something that is looked upon with some um, I I would probably argue that there is an amount of people who would say that people and our biomechanics are the true divine engineering so there is a level, there's a stigma that I want to attach to it where it's not like they're looked down upon, but it's not the perfect way that it could be necessarily, yeah. you know? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, that, that's cool too, because there's a, you know, obviously when we think of Da Vinci, we also think of um, the human body. And so mm-hmm. that's exactly this. what I was thinking. Yeah. Where the, the, it's the six armed guy. I know he doesn't actually it, have six arms. It's a diagram. Tru- is I get it Vitruvian it. man? Is Vitruvian, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 That sounds right. I'm going to mm-hmm. go with that. It is, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Courtney. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, not only that, but I think that just meeting someone who has, you know, a statue arm that moves is like that's yeah. kind of weird and kind of cool. And you know, it, 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 mind you, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a statue. It could be like I, I'm actually thinking now, like, could you do a stained glass arm? Like, is that even mm. possible or something like that? Ooh. That could be yeah. Really cool. Yeah. Could be a very special like a, reinforced class. Yeah. Yeah. Like a very high end person would, would go with that. Oh yeah. That's totally what it is. It's like, yeah. uh, well, I lost my arm, but damn it. I'm going to be fashionable if I lost my arm, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we can do that. Uh, and then we can now move into our factions. Um, so, Daniel started us off last time. So Courtney, why don't you tell us what your faction is this time around? Sure. So I went with like a more kind of labor union, labor guild, worker type faction. Um, who are these cliff hoppers of sorts? They're the mm. people who carve new buildings into cliff sides uh, for the city and set up like pulley elevator systems. Um, and escort people between the cities and like the canyon floor. So that's awesome. Of, yeah, they're sort of like the I don't know the the connection between um, the city and the ground below, more or less. 
they uh, they kind of remind me of like train engineers in that way, you mm, know, to, yeah. to bring it back to Land of a Thousand Trains, you know, like mm. that's uh, or Ride the Lightning, depending on which version you want to use. But uh, yeah, that, that's kind of what it reminds me of is like they're the connective tissue. They're the people who are really important, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are they regarded as a middle class and underclass uh, working class? Like what's their situation? I feel like they would be middle class, like um, they're they're laborers, but they're very respected in their positions. Um, mm. So they're they're certainly not viewed as peasants, nor are they like nobility, but they're they're treated well. Definitely. Is this kind of like a guild that you're brought into or is it more you're born into it? This is your lot in life like you are raised with this thinking or is it like anyone can join and anyone can be part of this? Uh, this guild? I think it could be anyone, but um, sort of leaning into the, the Renaissance idea of apprenticeships and how mm. like, if you're an artist, your apprenticeship would begin in your teens. Um, I could see it something like that here where um, it's it would be very rare for like a, a 30-year-old to decide to join the guild, but generally it's more like a 15-year-old who decides that this is what they want to do and they they get an apprenticeship with some master cliff worker and go from there. Gotcha. Interesting. That's a whole um, storyline into itself, you know, mm-hmm. following the apprentice yeah. as he explores this uh, fantasy world and learns things. And tries not to fall to his death. And <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about this previously, right? Like we have a world that has a great amount of verticality to it, right? Um, how prominent are windows? Because I'm thinking of architecture in this era in like the, in the Renaissance and the Renaissance era. Is it like Gothic cathedrals that are incredibly tall, you know, like with a lot of glass, because I think that's a cool aesthetic that I want to think Mm -hmm. of, but, or that could also just be a singular city state. Is, is that what we're also kind of thinking where it's like architecture and, and, and whatnot is going to change based on where you come from yeah i would i could see it like being a a big factor of place in there um mm. given that i mean at some point these cities existed all on like flat terrain more or less connected to each other but whenever that cataclysm type event happened um everything else shifted down around them mm. so i imagine that there's like commonalities between them but over time they develop more of their own personal style um so with like the these cliff workers, I could see them like actively building things into the cliffs. Um, Mm. And rather than like building further up, just like building within the structure that they already have as their, their base in a way. Mm. I can also imagine, I can also imagine the, um, the glass itself being very important structurally, Mm. like to Mm. protect against, um, you know, uncertain weather conditions, potentially breaking things. I yeah, think yeah. enormous skyscrapers built into like mountainsides, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, I have a question. Is sunlight at a premium in some way? Uh, yeah, I because... was thinking about sunlight when I was considering like the invention and the the faction too, because if you're, if you're on like a city that's surrounded by air, basically on almost all sides, um, I imagine you'd get, get more exposure to sun that way mm. than you normally would like in a in a flat uh, terrain type setting 
Yeah. And, and not only that, but we did talk last episode about the church that was in yeah. like the valley where they only had sunlight for like two hours a day mm-hmm. or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Can we, can we kind of take that further a little bit and can we have it be a classist thing where it's like, yeah, you can live on the outskirts or, or you can either live in the spires or on the mm-hmm. outer rim where you're going to get exposure to sunlight. But then there's like a a separate underclass that lives in like the valleys and the shadows. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're forced to dig in a little bit further where you don't really get sunlight anymore. So it's, they're essentially cave dwellers, right? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. and and I'm not talking about like dwarves and whatnot. I'm talking (laughs) about like Southern Italy where they literally built towns in the sides of cliffs for various reasons. But that's kind of the concept that I'm interested in. I was going to say that, yeah, I think that sunlight being valuable to the growth of food and to mm-hmm. just general well-being, well-being could um, stratify them by class. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the higher, closer you are to the sun, the closer you are to the Atlantean city in the sky and to mm-hmm. utopia. Um, so there might yeah. be even a religious aspect to that on top of there being an economic angle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that actually... Um, works into my own faction unwittingly. Like I, I didn't have this in mind while I was thinking out my faction earlier, but this kind of works. And uh, I think I'm just going to go for, I'm going to transition into mine now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my faction is a group. uh, It's, it's actually an entire city state because I, I wanted to go with something a little bit broader. Uh, this concept that I wanted to roll with, I was like, I want a genuinely good city state that has real problems. So yeah, I, I kind of was running with this concept of like the utopia, you know, a la Alan Moore. Oh, God damn it. I, all I knew was going to say that. Could I you was, imagine the utopia Alan, of yeah, Alan Moore? That, <laughs> An no. avatar of orphans bleeding their fear <laughs> yeah, and yeah. torment. Yeah, like every angle of every building is like dark and like made of bones and blood. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And yet, and yet he will be right about it. Like that's the, that's the yeah. thing, right? Uh, but no, Thomas More. Thomas More wrote Utopia. And that's kind of the concept that I had in mind where I want this city state to be we are going to raise everyone up. We're going to educate everyone. We're going to. Uh, extol values and virtues and everyone will be equal. It's an egalitarian society. And you're all asking, well, what's the twist here? What's the break? Uh, Who's getting, who's suffering and dying? Is this an Omelas situation? It's not. These people have genuine intentions of doing and raising and making sure that everyone is good and everyone has a voice and everyone is, you know, like the best that they can be. It is a Mm -hmm. true utopia. The only problem is that they are pragmatists who understand that they cannot spread that to the entirety of the world. Mm -hmm. There is a hard cap on the population that they can support. And their goal continuing and going forward is to increase that population as fast and as quickly and as readily as possible because they have salvation, right? That's the Mm -hmm. concept that they have is that they or that I'm running with is they have the best thing in the world and they wish that they could bring it and give it to everyone, but they can't because they know that they can't support that yet, but they're working towards that. 
Oh, and uh, kind of a side note, but like, I also thought of this, like what would be kind of fun and interesting is that they're more interested in the long form art piece. So they're all novelists or uh, <laughs> opera writers. So things that take longer to consume, but because you're consuming these things for longer, the, the effects of the magic uh, are going to be more potent as a result. So instead of just breathing in and, and, and viewing a, a, a piece of art for a couple of min minutes or briefly reading a poem or something like that, it's like you're reading a novel. It might take you weeks to read through this novel, but by the end of it, you will be infused with this magic compared to something that's a bit briefer. That's, yeah, that's the other thing that I want to throw out there. J two kind of disparate thoughts, but I'm like, whatever, they sound cool. This is how it works. Do they see themselves as, um, descend or not descended, but aligned with perhaps the utopian ideals of the Atlanteans? Uh, quite the opposite, actually. They think that to worship the Atlanteans and to aspire to something among the clouds is unrealistic. It mm. is My why, humor. yeah, it's hubris. It's like, mm. why try and like get, go for something that is unattainable when we have everything here on earth that we can make things livable and great and as best as possible for the people who are here now. Oh, interesting. That is interesting. Does that like affect how how they view new inventions and new technology? Uh, in what way? Like if they if they kind of feel like they've already got everything figured out, do they do they accept new technology or are they very skeptical of it? Well, well, see, I don't see them as thinking that they have everything mm. figured out. It's it's a matter of like be, because like I said, they want to make sure that everyone else can have what mm -hmm. they have. It's a matter of, um, well, we don't have everything that we need right now, but why try and get something that's unattainable in the sky when we have everything here? We can make it as good as the sky, essentially. That's what mm -hmm. the, the concept is anyway. Interesting. Yeah. It would seem, too, that the criticism from the exterior, like from out there, side their society, is that their need to, because they're they're worried about expanding too quickly and destabilizing themselves, that I bet the criticism would be that they have a totalitarian grip on um, homeostasis inside their own city-state, right? Like, mm. if you're trying to maintain essentially population control and making sure that things don't expand too rapidly, you're going to have to limit freedoms in some way. And so yes. I wonder who their critics are. Like, are there critics the church? Are there critics the merchant skills elsewhere? Like, who who views them as not necessarily utopia, but um, a fascist state? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was thinking about that as well. Like, there's this concept of, like, them being an incredibly insular society, but not to the point of, like, xenophobia and not to the point of, like, oh, well, we're building an ethnic state. Like, that's not what I'm interested in. It's more a matter right. of we're, we need to regulate uh, who comes in and out and who we can support. And I would imagine that there is like, it is a more porous population than people might understand because they, people can leave if they want and they're free to. And in fact, they're encouraged to do so so they can go and learn and, and also not be a drain on the resources of mm -hmm. said society. You know, but they're also bringing stuff back. They're like, here, here's what I learned on my journey, you know, and, and I, I don't know. There, there's something about this that I that I like in concept. But again, it is very, very difficult to actually pull off, even with all magic and tech that we have, you know, mm -hmm, definitely. Um, I could also see connecting with uh, you, what you had said about 
their art and how it's like long form and takes a long time to both create and consume i feel like that would probably change their perception of time and how they mm. how they approach things and things on the outside probably seem very very short-lived um like poetry mm. for example a short poem would be like nothing to them um or maybe they only see like long journeys as worthwhile as opposed to like a short outing interesting yeah i i, I can certainly see something like that mm. where it's like um it's it's like a, a, a what's it called a walkabout i think is what they're called where you have like this kind of uh uh, um, trying to not use uh, the long word coming of age tale type situation, you know, where it's like, all right, mm-hmm. once yeah. m- maybe that's a rule. Once everyone reaches adulthood in this society, it's their time to go and leave mm-hmm. and decide whether or not they want to come back or what they want to bring back from the world in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's an interesting thing to bring in. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder. It makes me wonder about the, f- the f- different city states we have because we've that's a, mm. we've got this kind of utopian rationalist technologist or, or technocratic kind of place, right? Um, then I wonder what the other ones are. Like we know we've got the spooky church on the precipice. Did mm-hmm. we define any other ones? Yeah, I mean that's a great segue potentially, Daniel. Do you have a city state for us <laughs> that you want to talk about? Kind of. Um, I, I wouldn't call it a city state, but it's an area of the world they want to us to figure out a little bit. Um, and I was telling you guys earlier for the podcast about this um, movie I was just watching called As Above, So Below, which is, um, mm-hmm. it takes place, without ruining anything, it takes place in the Paris catacombs, which have a lot of mythology behind them and spookiness. Um, and we have in this world um, the lower depths where the sun doesn't shine because these cliffs are so high because of the cataclysms that occurred. So I thought, well, what what's down there? And so I wanted a faction of, um, to the risk of cheesiness, dark Atlanteans. So Atlanteans who have fallen from their, their uh, utopia on high and still dwell down there. Mm. Um, but I don't want them to be like, a people i want that i want it to be populated i want there to be a population of creatures down there mm-hmm. um that like are associated warlocks? to some no like there might be atlanteans but i want the, i want this to stay mysterious like who really were the atlanteans but remnants of them uh. that take the form of creatures or other things like maybe there are weird undead i don't know some some kind of beings down there um and in, in that movie what was interesting is they have a lot of alchemy angles and like the whole phrase is taken from um, the kind of Madame Blavatsky take on uh, alchemy, um, the kind of Aleister Crowley concept of like mm. that they they kind of pervert the original concept, which has mm. more to do with math than anything else. But the idea that like what occurs at the heavens is the same as on the earth is a reflection and they're inverted to each other. So, so I'm so imagining into like occultism and stuff like that, like, yeah. Taking like anti reason, gotcha. So you're taking like ritual, or, or you're taking the math out of alchemy, the science out of alchemy, and just mm-hmm. turning it into like faith or or trying to break physics in general, right? Yeah. And so I'm wondering, like, maybe before this Enlightenment period, like the the church that we came up with 
had a connection to this kind of reasoning and it has a connection to the Atlanteans as well. And that Mm -hmm. when you go to the world below, things get inverted, like the rules change that all the principles that we know and rely on are, are warped in some way. Interesting. Nice. Hmm. Um, Okay, so so what is this faction then? Is is it just like the faction is is a disparate group of like monster men, or is I it... want it to be in a sinister way connected to the Atlanteans, whether it's like a shadow of them or it's actually remnants of them. So I don't know uh, how. So do you do you do you know anything about Lemurians, Daniel? Yes, I know about that. Here's a, a lost <laughs> continent of Lemuria. Right. Is that it? M- yeah. m- exactly. So. There, uh, there was supposed to, so the, the Lemurians are to like the anti-Atlanteans because allegedly, according to certain lore, the Atlanteans and Lemurians fought each other to the point where they both lost their civilization. I didn't know that. Maybe that's what it could be. That's kind of cool. That's, and that's exactly what I was thinking is, you know, when I hear, oh, I want someone who are like the Atlanteans, but evil, I'm like, oh, just make them the Lemurians, you know, like (laughs) Mm -hmm. take the lore, have it be so, and not only that, but, you know, physically they are the anti-Atlanteans in this setting uh-huh. because the Atlanteans are literally in the sky and these are basically in the earth, right? Yeah, I'm for that. I like that. And I, I would like it too mm-hmm. as if they were a faction or a, a philosophy of the Atlanteans that was forsaken. So, okay, so let's let's take this concept then. So what are what's the philosophy of the Lemurians or people who follow the Lemurians? Because we've already established, right, that people who seek out the Atlanteans seek what is essentially a skybound El Dorado. And is there an inverse? Uh, Hold on. Are these basically just Luddites? Like people who are anti-technology, who are anti-magic in some way? I I, I, I don't think so. Because they were Atlanteans, right? So I think that they're just as sophisticated. I just, mm. I, I wonder if they seek something esoteric and not grounded in um, what might be blasphemous reason, you know, in the way that the Atlanteans and the enlightened people above in the midworld do. What if they were the cause of that initial um, cataclysm where the no. earth fell? Yes. Like something that they like were it. doing in an occult way, like completely changed the face of the earth. Yeah. They cracked the Earth's mantle. Yeah. Mm. Um, I could also see like the Church of the Precipice, like worshiping what's down there, you know? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's actually really fun. So you take like the initial church, and then the only way that they can maintain power and maintain relevance is to switch their focus onto these like Lemurian types. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you have, and Daniel, I know this because we were just talking about it previously, but Daniel's been consuming an anime, uh, which is Castlevania. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> dare you call it an anime? But but I think that we can we can kind of have a fun little uh, a switcheroo where it's like, yeah, the church uh, is basically summonings or in or is in league with the equivalent of devils or demons now, right? Like they might obviously aesthetically they might not be that, but if for all intents and purposes here, as much as they are diametrically opposed, that's what they would be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is this a church of flesh? Is this a philosophy of flesh? Is that what I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm seeing here? Because when I think of the Atlanteans, as we've established them, they are 
technology, their metal, their ornithopters, their artifice. And is is the are, are the Lemurians the same way, but they use blood and cum and sweat as their ritual, okay. as their <laughs> as their way to create and and warp the world as they see it. Is it biomimicry even? I, I think that would be an interesting expression of mm-hmm. that, of what they're doing. But I would, I, what I would like is that if, if the Atlanteans above base their thinking on reason, which is about, which is actually more material, it's physical. Right, right. Reason is materialism, right? So then I would imagine that they're far more spiritual. Like I'm guessing mm. that what they do has to do with the soul, which I imagine the Atlanteans deny exists. Um, mm. And they deal with things that are um, esoteric and, you know, of the spirit world. Yeah, but yeah. I could see that coming out in weird rituals like you're describing, maybe. That, see, that's interesting to me. I feel like there's really something there that we can kind of drill down and ex- and explore a little bit more. Um, like maybe they're tampering with the spirit world, uh, perverts mm-hmm. the physical body, and that's how mm-hmm. it manifests yeah. in like these horrible rituals of blood and flesh and all that. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be, uh, you know, like gaseous or anything like that, or like mm-hmm. soul. You know, like I- I'm thinking it could be like, they have a great emphasis on the liquids and the, ooh, uh, what's the, what's the original, the humors, the four humors. Yeah. yeah that was a really, yeah, like we can definitely take something. Cause that's like pre-reason. Up. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And then you can have, you know, the, the black bile and the yellow bile and the phlegm, mm-hmm. the blood, and you can have these people who are essentially manipulating, not reason, but emotion, uh, through these weird alchemical concoctions that should not work, but do. Yeah. And that's what pisses the Atlanteans off. <laughs> and that's gross. Yeah. Let's be real. That's, <laughs> right. that's gross. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make things gross and add mm-hmm. at least 30% more cum to every setting in uh-huh. that, we, that we make. Um, <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, but no, I mean, like, I think that I think that's really interesting. I think that's something that we can certainly run with. Um, I don't want it to be front and center. I like this more as like a side thing mm-hmm. more than anything else. But I do like the idea that there is this creepy, wet, underground force that is there. It's lurking, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm. I wonder what their end goal is then. Like, are they seeking like eternal life, immortality? interesting i mean i imagine they already believe they have eternal life like yeah. Yeah. christian church theology is such that you mm-hmm. don't really die so that's true that's true yeah so i, I mean if we're if we're thinking of madame blavatsky and alistair crowley mm-hmm. then by if we're if we're following them as examples then it comes as a matter of they want to uh manipulate as much power as they have by talking to the ancient dead, well, not dead, but the ancient gods that are Mm -hmm. hidden through time. So maybe in some way we can twist it. So their goal is the same as the people on the surface, which is to reach this. Yeah. It's transcendence. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (sighs) All right. Um, there's no good transition out of that. I think that's, but at the same time, that's really dope. I, I really appreciate Very, that. That's really yeah. cool, Daniel. Great job. Um, and great job to Courtney as well, because you know what? 
for all the uh, ritual magic, you still need someone who's going to be there to make sure that everything works. You know, <laughs> it's called your yeah. plumber or your electrician. Oh yeah, exactly. And give them respect. Like you don't have to respect them about everything, but for the love of God, treat them as people. I can't even fucking get a plumber lately. I just need, I need a plumber and I'm being told I can get a plumber in four weeks for something that's leaking. For something that's leaking, like an emergency? Yeah. They're like, uh, yeah, that we can get to that in December. I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, I'm going to have to cut this because this is going to be airing in December. So, um, Anyway, so yeah, I, okay. So with that out of the way, we've got the factions, we've got the inventions. It's time to move on to our uh, to our main quest. So what is the main, I mean, we've already established as per last episode that this setting is rife with all sorts of different types of play styles, different types of quests that you can go on. What are we thinking to incorporate all of our factions and whatnot that we can, that we can create a story about what are, what are our first and what are our, what are our initial thoughts? I mean, I think um, having a group that's traveling from your utopia city state would be kind of a good entry point because Mm. they are traveling out into this world that they haven't really experienced yet. um, Seeing everything for the first time. Yeah, I mean, and not only that, but there is a certain level of naivete, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. that comes with that, which is a fun trope to play up in role playing for sure. Mm -hmm. So it's a it's a um, uh, pre Atlanteans rumspringa, is what you're saying? (laughs) Uh, I mean, kinda. (laughs) Um, I'm not against that. I think that that's fun. (laughs) Right, but but this is like okay, this is. But I imagine, right, that as uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to figure this out because the society they had in mind, right, they would have prepared them for the outside world. Yeah. They would have told them, like, "Hey, this is how things are." But there's still like mm-hmm. some level of naivete, naivete that I really want to focus on here. Yeah. But what is the goal? Is my guess that I'm kind of aiming mm-hmm. for, right? Let's go back to that. We never talked about the, Ro- the Rosniak engine. Like we should go back to that. Where are people well, trying thought, to find it? Well, I thought that was like the the big and first and best uh like flying machine. The one that was yeah. supposed to go to Atlantean mm-hmm. El Dorado, right? Mm-hmm. When it got lost, yeah. Well, we don't know what happened to it, it just hasn't come back yet. So yeah. I imagine that there's some level of discourse happening around what would happen to it, you know? Is this the main quest or a side quest? Well, th- that's that's up to us. I think that we can kind of figure out what we're aiming for here. Like we can we can really talk about anything. But th- I think fi- finding something like that would be interesting. Like finding a, a lost relic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's actually kind of interesting now. So it's not a matter of, because remember my my city state is not interested in finding the Atlantean stuff, right? Yeah. They don't really care about that. They're more about making things better on Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there a reason they would need it though? They, right, that's what I'm thinking. It's like maybe mm-hmm. something has spurred them to maybe do a little bit more research or try and find something that's like that. So it's like, oh well, we found this artifact, we found this remnant during a walkabout. 
that might change how we view things. I, I don't know. It's it just tossing ideas out. Could almost be like an archaeological thing too, where, I mean, if you have all these areas that suddenly plummeted further down into the earth, like I imagine people would want to go and explore those regions again to kind of rediscover um, other technologies that may have been lost previously. Oh, that's that's a really interesting idea. So you can have pieces of Atlantis falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. It causes something that is a terrible disaster. But then, you know, the these people are like, well, we should go out and explore that because I'm sure that mm-hmm. there's something that we can use, something that we can find. In, and if there's not, then, you know, so be it. But yeah. the the reward is so much higher than the risk that they take. That's, that's right. a cool concept. Yeah, and then that would like tie in with the Lemurian idea because I yes. I'm guessing there would have to be interaction with them at some point if you're going down to like the the below surface level. Mm-hmm. I mean and from a GM perspective, things could be happening in the background that we're not aware mm-hmm. of. For example, the um utopian city state might be aware of something that the church is up to. And so sending out these noobs to go do some exploring might be a good cover for them to understand um, what their enemies are plotting, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm. Interesting. Um, I wish that we had more city states. I feel like if we knew a little bit more about other ones, then mm-hmm. we'd be able to bring a little bit more political intrigue into this, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think starting with the church is a great idea too. I mean, you could center your utopia for the time being. Like if we're yeah. writing from the perspective of the people coming out of it, Maybe, you know, there isn't all, maybe, maybe like while the erudite leaders of this utopia know about all the other city states, like the average like college student doesn't. And so they've been taught mm-hmm. certain things and what to be aware of, but the practical on the ground knowledge is what they need. You know, they could bounce, bounce into Courtney's like laborers who are working mm-hmm. out on some cliffside and they, you know, team up with their party because, oh, there's a lot of things you guys just don't know, like practical mm-hmm. knowledge, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's I think that's where the fun would certainly come in. It's like you have a group that's half and half where it's like people who have been highly educated and you know they've they're coming from this utopia and then they're also forced to blend with this other group that is Courtney's salt of the earth. You know, uh they are the what did you call them, Courtney? I'm sorry. I was kind of calling them cliff hoppers <laughs> yeah. for some reason. Right. Yeah. So it's like these cliff hoppers are not only like they're, they're forced together because one needs the technical expertise and the other needs the academic expertise mm. and they're willing to work together for this so they can figure out what these fallen Atlantean, you know, mountains or continents or whatever they might be, uh, that's that's where the expedition takes place. And I think there could be a lot of fun with the interplay between both of those groups together, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you can add in the the church and the Lemurians. And that's is what is essentially the, uh, the... They're basically like the Nazis from uh, Indiana Jones. That's the way I'm thinking of the word. You have the two groups that are racing towards this archaeological dig right yeah that'd be neat yeah yeah (sighs) i mean i could i could picture a really easy setup um you know like if if the art if the artifact they're trying to find is the original um uh cornithropter right the the church might want it because it'll let them gain access to el dorado and then pervert it or to use it for their own purposes 
but they're really a puppet of the Lemurians who want to get back to um, Atlantis. Um, mm. And the Utopians need it because maybe, I don't know, maybe their, their gyros inside of their fortress, they realize are not quite aligned properly and only the perfect mm. um, gyros of the, that invention contain the knowledge from the fix their own societies like flaw mm. but they don't want mm. anyone to know about that because it would cause a mass panic you know the mm. the the workers would be interested because they work for merchants who want to get it so they can sell it there's all kinds of stuff you can do yeah, yeah. and i i think when, when you were talking about that i was thinking about like the perfect number or like the the people who approach certain aspects of mathematics with like a divine yeah. look like Oh, you see what? What's the sequence that ha- that occurs naturally quite often? It's that's like spiral. The, it yeah, spiral? right. It's the spiral, but the there's golden also golden ratio. Thank you. The golden yeah. ratio. That's exactly what I had in mind. Yeah. So imagine. I think that'd be kind of fun as well. You know, where it's like you can certainly add a, a separate religious aspect to it as well, mm-hmm. where it's like people are looking at certain formulas, certain ratios, certain. Uh, numerology, as it were, with like this divine reverence. I think that'd be uh, ha- that's apropos of absolutely something, but like not necessarily directly correlated with what we're talking about here, you know. So what's so so what's the twist on the adventure, Courtney? Because in my mind, right, like I feel like we have a mix between Indiana Jones and the Goonies a little bit, you know. <laughs> I imagine that something about what the Lemurians have must be tempting in a way to an outsider mm. who's never experienced it before. So maybe there's some sort of twist there where that type of knowledge that they have might be more appealing than the initial um, the initial goal. Daniel, what is that? I want mm. I want I want to hear from you Daniel. What do you what do you think that thing is? I'm thinking the only way to really do things that are supernatural in this setting is to create art that transcends, that, that allows you to kind of understand, it reveals new laws of, that are not known of the universe. It lets you do crazy things. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the Lemurians um, can create those laws directly somehow mm-hmm. because they're not oh. relying on reason. That's cool. Through the destruction of art. Oh, Interesting. Hmm. Ooh, um, no. So like by destroying certain artworks, they can change the physics of the world, you're saying? Or something. Or maybe like it, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it's necessary to link them, like I just said, but I, I, I like the mm-hmm. idea of like, there's a there's a way to, to make, um, to, to change the rules, but maybe it comes at a price, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I mean... We, we could go the easy route and just have it be sacrifice. You know, like you're literally digging through the guts for the bile, the phlegm, et cetera. Uh, you know, what they would look at as magic in physical form, which is the essence mm-hmm. of the human body. Or like shedding the physical and then using the soul itself as fuel. I don't know what. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How would you do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, th- I just feel like there's a opportunity for us to make in some way a mirror of the way that the inventions and the magic functions in the, in, for the Atlanteans in the world above mm-hmm. and the same in the world above, below. Daniel, I completely agree with you. It's yeah. just that this is, <laughs> I, know, I don't know how cre- being creative is hard. It turns out. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is. I mean, another, well, okay. So maybe this will help us think like there's another principle in that whole concept of like 
the world outside is the way it is because it's a reflection of what's inside of you. That's the alchemical principle. Mm. So maybe that, maybe the Lemurians understand that, that the, the, they, so maybe they're solipsists, like the, the world outside isn't as real as what you know it to be true as you're in, mm. inside of yourself. So the rules yeah. don't matter. They're imposed mm. on you. Oh, so like it, by freeing their minds, they're able to, to change the physics that they interact with. Oh, they're psionicists. Yeah. That's actually what I was thinking. It's like, so yeah. everything that they are like, they can, they can change physics as they see it, but only on a direct individual mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. maybe they can like phase through walls or maybe they, mm -hmm. they can like, like change themselves in some way that makes it so like, I'm as hard as steel, you know, like mm -hmm. that kind of yeah. thing. They yeah. don't Whereas, need an implement to do it. Like it's, they realize that that's an illusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, and the, what they would probably couldn't, the, what they would probably call like, I have control over my soul. I don't need to worry mm -hmm. and deal with the physical world because I have control over the inner world. Yeah. And maybe mm -hmm. to do that, like the final step of the transmutation of the self is the sacrificing away your body. Right. Mm -hmm. Be because again, if we're doing opposites here, then we're looking at the destruction of something physical rather than the creation of something physical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so how did how it's the destruction of something? What is that? What are they destroying? You said the body, but is it physical death or like how does that work exactly? Oh, 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 oh! I, I think I may have answered it. Uh, are these Lemurians spirits who possess members of the church? Oh, Ooh. so, so by it's up their cool. their physical form, they can kind of transfer yeah. themselves into another person. Yeah. They jump Ooh. from body to body. They're, they're, like they're like the exorcist mm -hmm. series. We love that concept, don't we? We've done that. We, we've, we've done it like three times now and I'm like a fault, a fault as well. <laughs> Wait, have we? I like it though. Yeah. Like the last episode we had another body jumping spirit thing, didn't we? Oh, God damn it. You're right. Yeah. And then before that with the elf crystals, like the, remember the elf crystals, but it's cool though. I like it. Well, <laughs> This is perhaps more thematically appropriate than Elf Crystal. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah. So uh, to the new listeners, this is a brand new idea. <laughs> to people who've been listening to us for years, don't worry about it. Just just forget <laughs> about those other episodes. This is our own canon. Yeah, just exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Yeah, that's cool. Let's do that, uh, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, I do too. I like it a lot. Yeah. Maybe to like right. make it more different than the other things. Though I might also be misremembering the past ones, but like if you permanently lose your the physical form that you were born in, so you're kind of left permanently as this like interloper soul. Um, so you never have like a permanent form again. You're constantly jumping around to different bodies. It's the Palpatine, the, the possessed. <laughs> oh, we should move on. We, <laughs> we've once, yes, once, yes, I, yes. once Palpatine has been invoked, it's time to move on. Okay, so what's the climax of this adventure? What's the climax of this story that we're dealing with here? Well, unlimited power, obviously. Mm -hmm. God obviously. damn it, yeah. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, the we know that their goal is to try and find that, that uh, engine. And I imagine, mm -hmm. like in any good story, it's never, you never really get what you intended at the end. 
So who knows what mm. they end up right. with or what they realize along the way. Yeah, I mean, like w- what I would imagine, right, is that they they stum- maybe they stumble upon a piece of Atlantean tech that is very much not what they were expecting. It's not like some mm. flying engine. It's something that exposes something else, you know, something about an ethereal, like other dimensional aspect, or maybe it's like an oceanic exploration or something like that, mm-hmm. because we haven't even talked about what oceans and water yeah, looks like true. in this yet. I mean, it could be an inversion yeah. of the theme in some way that like, maybe these are two extremes, like the world of reason and the world of the irrational, like there's something in between that isn't revealed to them. As much as I'm opposed to that personally, because I don't think the world of irrationally exists, but but I suppose there's a middle ground, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what, Daniel? I feel like it's time to move on. I feel like we've we've gotten to a place where we're comfortable, where where there's yeah. enough holes that people can fill on their own. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's up to you guys. Um, Gross. Yeah, and that's fine. And I think that we're at a point where we can call this a successful episode of World Build With Us. So again, a big thanks to our listener, Philip Rosiak, for suggesting this uh, prompt to us. And remember that if you want us to build your world, you can always go to our website, worldbuildwithus.com, where you can click on a link uh, that will allow you to submit a prompt where we will build it within a reasonable amount of time, as long as it's not creepy or gross. if you want to follow us on social media, we are over at Let's World Build on Twitter. And if you want to come join our Discord, or if you're feeling particularly generous, you can give us money on Patreon with a link for both of those in the description. A reminder that our newest Patreon-only episode should be out as of this recording. So if you're a patron already, definitely go check that out. And if you're not please consider doing so. Uh, We love uh, your support and rely on it heavily, um, emotionally, not not financially still. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that'll do it for this episode of World Build With Us. Remember that we love you very much. We're going to get through this together. Until next week.